Welcome to the Winter Faith Podcast. My name is Andy Frazier. Thanks for tuning in. Andy's funny. Time for the show. Just tear the mirrors off the wall Cause sometimes the truth they tell Ain't no truth at all, no We look with these eyes That are quick to criticize Well, too much of this, too little of that And we bought a handful of lies Oh, mirror, mirror on the wall You ain't too fair two reasons because uh, number one this topic has been uh, relatively taboo in most Christian circles uh, and still is um, and number two I work for a church actually I work for this church uh, so it's embarrassing that I wrestle with something that um, also involves uh, my job uh, at times um, and sometimes even involves me uh, doing things for you guys that get you closer than I can get myself. So at some level, I just have to say uh, I am a little envious of that. So you may wonder why would I say yes to this. Um, here's my purpose for tonight. I just want to encourage those who do doubt uh, and also encourage the church to be a place that rewards rather than punishes honesty. I think that's that's one thing that we're learning to be better at. It's one thing, uh, especially if you listen to the conversations we've had tonight, um, we're, we're rewarding um, uh, rather than punishing honesty. So uh, I commend uh, this group for that, um, uh, but that's my purpose for uh, tonight. <clears throat> one of my first memories of faith um, are not actually uh, events at all. Uh, some of you guys, when you think of uh, your first memories of faith, they may be VBS, they may be something else. Uh, for me, they're questions, uh, they're not events. In fact, uh, I still remember staring uh, at the flannel graph board of Adam and Eve uh, with little fig leaves over their uh, parts and uh, asking the question, 
why would God create a tree in the garden if he knew that man was going to sin? Those were, I mean, those were questions like three and four. Those were obvious questions, like at a really, like questions I was asking uh, my family. I was born um, in Edmond, Oklahoma, to two loving Christian parents. I was practically raised on the campus of Oklahoma Christian University. Um, a lot of my friends, uh, uh, or a lot of a lot of my parents' friends, were uh, faculty members and still are there. Um, my family then moved from Oklahoma City to Nowheresville, Arkansas, and uh, that was traumatic because I went from being a city boy to a country boy real quick, and it didn't it didn't take. <laughs> it, stuck, it stuck out a little bit and still does. Um, but uh, oh yeah, there's a little picture of me. Uh, I went from being in one of the largest church environments, uh, really in our in our movement. Uh, we had somewhere between 2,500 and 3,200 uh, people uh, in that church, and that was the Church of Christ. Um, and I went from that environment that nurtured questions and thinking about things to uh, a more rural, small environment uh, that didn't really take kindly to you asking. Um, questions, and so that topic was mostly shunned. I actually remember my Bible class teacher when I was younger telling my mother uh, that I just asked too many questions um, and that I was disrupting the class. So I was a teacher's kid. I didn't want to. I didn't want to cause any teacher uh, any problems. So I just learned to, man, just not talk about it. Just don't. I, I didn't want to. I didn't want to cause her stress. Uh, so I learned to keep to keep silent and not talk about my questions. Um, just so you know, if you do that, this is what um, your nightstand will look like for probably the rest of your life. Uh, I live on a steady diet of books and apologetics and new Christian literature um, and stuff that is not in Christian circles. Um, and I do that because um, that's <laughs> that's my world. That's how I, that's how I exist uh, at times. Uh, but before we can begin to kind of understand that doubt, I think it's best to define it. So Webster, whoever Webster is in his dictionary, uh, defines doubt this way. First is a noun, a feeling of uncertainty or a lack of conviction, and then used as a verb to question the truth uh, or fact of something, to fear or be afraid of, feeling uncertain. Uh, especially about one's uh, religious beliefs. So uh, the, the thing that I, I think that we have to consider from this, well, if I can get through my notes, we'll show uh, <clears throat> is this uh, feeling of uncertainty. And I want to kind of highlight that a little bit. So let's jump to the next slide. Um, Anne Lamont, who I love, uh, in one of her books called Plan B, uh, says this about certainty. The opposite of faith is not doubt, but certainty, she says. Certainty is missing the point entirely. Faith includes noticing the mess, the emptiness, and discomfort, and letting it be there until some light returns. I like that definition. Um, so from that we learn uh, another thing, that uh, faith may not always be a bad thing. Uh, or that, that doubt is not always a bad thing. Faith is a good thing. Um, <laughs> doubt can have both healthy and unhealthy consequences uh, to your faith journey. So uh, I 
like to start with the uh, unhealthy part first. Uh, sometimes I'm a little more familiar with that, and I think most of us are. Um, doubt led me to question everything. Uh, a lot of times it's, I can't turn it off. I can't always turn that off. Um, so I'm always thinking about, well, I know you said that, but dot, dot, dot. Um, and then doubt often kept me from wanting to engage scripture. Uh, I became pretty weary uh, from that journey. Um, and then doubt began to erode my faith and my appetite for theology. Um, that's the part where cynicism creeps in. Uh, that may be a little bit more familiar to some of you guys. But it also had some healthy consequences, some that a lot of people don't really talk about, like doubt led me away from the world and toward Jesus. Um, it's that doubt, it's those questions that made me look at life and say, there's something wrong with this picture, or there's something more to this picture. Um, doubt also caused me to go deeper into scripture and theology. So sometimes, even though I'm kind of weary of wanting to do it, uh, it also caused me to go deeper. Um, and doubt challenged me to redefine my Christian worldview. Um, that's something where you kind of bump into the ceiling of it uh, if you've lived enough life. Um, and, and we'll talk a little bit more uh, about that later. Um, there are lots of great theologians and Christian thinkers uh, who struggle with doubt. Um, first off, you may know this guy, C.S. Lewis. Um, Lewis was a former atheist before he became uh, one of the greatest Christian thinkers of our era. Uh, and John Calvin, uh, Calvin encouraged uh, questioning, uh, talks about that in much of his writings. Martin Luther, uh, the father of Protestantism, uh, never questioned the existence of God, but he does question his character quite a bit, uh, if you read a lot of his writings. Mother Teresa, uh, today we know her, Mother Teresa of Calcutta, uh, is primarily remember, remembered for her uh, selflessness and uh, her ministry to the poor and the sick, but uh, a book was actually published with all of her letters uh, back between priests where she struggled with faith. Uh, there's a, a book about it and it's great, um, but it, it's really her wrestling with a lot of her questions. People don't often know about that. Uh, Philip Yancey has written several books about it. Um, Martin Luther King uh, Jr. Uh, Dr. King experiences emotional doubts, and if you read a lot of his uh, writings and his letters, you realize that as well. Uh, Charles Spurgeon preaches on it, and then this last guy from our movement, you may you may uh, know, Lynn uh, Anderson, who's a friend of many in our brotherhood, and some uh, maybe even in this room, uh, is one of the only people I know in our movement um, who actually wrote a book specifically about doubt. And it was the first book I came uh, about because I grew up in a lot of Church of Christ circles, so if you go to uh, look at their books, there aren't very many that talk about uh, this particular subject, and so his was one of the only ones in the room. Uh, so I bought it, and it really helped me uh, work through a lot of things. It's called, If I Really Believe, Then Why Do I Have These Doubts? Uh, but maybe one of the only people in our movement that is really uh, kind of talking about this more specifically. Um, I want to move to a guy I really like to read occasionally, uh, Alistair McGrath, who's a theologian, a priest, and a Christian apologist, and this is what he has to say. Doubt is natural within faith. It comes about because of our human weakness and frailty. Unbelief is the decision to live your life as if there is no God. 
It is a deliberate decision to reject Jesus Christ and all that he stands for. But doubt is something quite different. Doubt arises within the context of faith. It is a wistful longing to be sure of the things in which we trust, but is not and need not be a problem. And he says that doubt is a natural part of faith. So wait, I thought it was unnatural. That's what I, that's what I was led to believe for most of my life. That's why I buried it. And McGrath also says that doubt arises from within the context of faith. So doubt is not only natural, but it also springs forth from an assurance in the things in which, to some degree, we're already kind of trusting in. Um, and so I want to go ahead and move from this idea uh, and, and from even talking about some theologians to quickly uh, to just remind you of some biblical stories that we're all familiar with. Abraham and Sarah um, laugh at God when he tells them that they're going to bear a son in their old age. Uh, Gideon uh, just keeps uh, putting that fleece out there, doesn't he? Um, and then Job, who's grumpy, emerges as the hero of, of the book of his namesake. Um, but it's not... Uh, uh, not his uh, theologically defensive friends uh, who get the better of him. It's, it's this guy that's questioning. Um, and then Peter, at least Peter gets out of the boat, right? Uh, Peter's walking to Jesus, um, uh, and he almost drowns in the process. Uh, but he, but he does, uh, but he does um, And then we get into poor Thomas. Uh, nobody remembers anything about Thomas, except for the fact that um, he doubted uh, Jesus actually being alive, and then we ascribe this name to him, poor doubting Thomas, um, and and it becomes his identity. He's he does he's not he's not Thomas who struggles with doubt. He's he's doubting Thomas. That that's his new identity, um, and that's what his that's what his Christians gave him. Uh, this last one. Uh, I don't know if you've thought about this, but Jesus Jesus didn't necessarily doubt. Uh, that's debatable. We can talk about that some other time. But he did question why his father had forsaken him while he was on the cross. So that's still a question. So at some level, you have to know, if Jesus is asking questions, it's okay to ask questions. Um, it means that they're still in the context of faith. Otherwise, you wouldn't even be asking them. You'd just be off doing whatever it was that you were doing before. Um, so the Bible includes many examples of doubt, uh, and God may have more tolerance of doubt than most churches. That's an ugly thing to think about, um, but it's true. And so, apart from somebody not ever coming to faith, there there are there are those of us who um, have uh, kind of migrated through. Uh, faith and sort of come to what I call the borderlands of belief. And uh, I want to look at these four stages. Uh, Brian McLaren is great, and I love his model that he's kind of put together because I think I think there's some truth here um, that we all go through. So the first stage he has is simplicity. That's the decision to become a Christian, um, and it's a hard decision, but it's a relatively simple one. Um, I believed, um, I decided to follow Christ, I was baptized, I began my journey. But then I realized that there were many ways. There are many ways to do faith. 
Uh, and so uh, faith, faith then became something that was uh, not just simple anymore, it was complex. Um, and that moved from complexity to perplexity pretty quickly. Uh, as I grew up, I began to have more questions. Uh, soon those questions turned to nagging doubts. Um, you have a, a whole list of books beside your bed that you grow up reading uh, to help support your faith and try to convince you of something that you hope that you believe. Um, my father passed away unexpectedly uh, during my sophomore year in college. Uh, and then my girlfriend found someone else and four years of, or four of my closest family members uh, passed away in a two-year span, uh, and I took theology classes, and I read tons of books, and uh, I worked on my theological lens, and my ex-fiance got cold feet two weeks before our wedding and left, and then I wrestled with doubts uh, and questioned my purpose and my calling for God's will on my life. And some of you, even if your story isn't exactly that story, you've wrestled with that at some level. Um, Life happens, so that may sound familiar. Life moves from something that's complex to something that's complicated. And before you know it, you're in the borderlands of belief, and you're not going to tell anybody. You think you would, but you're not, because it's not a safe place to talk about it. So instead, you don't cry out for help because you're embarrassed. That's it. And that's where a lot of my friends are gone. A lot of my friends that I went to Christian college with are gone because they got lost somewhere here between complexity and perplexity. Maturity really is humility. Um, that's that's the, the goal. We never really fully arrive, but we're always working to be humble. And what we believe, even in the confusion, we learn to have humility and, and are able to say, you know, I think I know this. I may not know all of it, but I'm going to be humble uh, in the way that I approach it, um, and that's that's really how you progress through that stage of perplexity. Um, so most people in the borderlands of belief get lost uh, in that stage of perplexity. So I do want to examine really quickly the stages of doubt: intellectual, uh, emotional, and volitional. And we'll get there quickly. And if you want this later, I'll give it to you. Um, but uh, we're going to walk through the borderlands of doubt real quickly. Um, the first one is intellectual doubt. Uh, that's doubt that's frequently concerned with the evidence for Christianity. It's chiefly interested in the issues which are related to the truthfulness of the faith and regularly expresses questions pertaining to philosophical points of interest or historical facts. So is there a God, biblical accuracy, textual criticism, the problem of suffering in the world, factual questions? That's intellectual doubt. The next is emotional, and this is actually 70% of all of the doubt that people um, uh, are caught up in, and that doubt emanates from one's passions or moods, usually involving a subjective uh, response by the individual. It frequently masquerades as a form of intellectual doubt and does not immediately reveal its disguised emotional uh, basis. So, like I said, 70% of doubt, this is really common, it's often seasonal, uh, and it's usually tied to someone's negative experience, whether that be with Christian 
uh, environments like churches or whether it's just individuals that they come in contact with that don't match up with what they feel like Christians should be. Sometimes it's a tragic event. And so people will say in that season, I'm struggling. I don't know that God's there, but really what it is is it's, it's emotional doubt. Uh, and once, uh, sometimes counseling can help this. Uh, and once that's resolved to some degree, this actually kind of goes away a little bit. Um, so there's something to consider. And then the last is uh, kind of that last boundary, uh, and that's volitional doubt. And that's doubt that's kind of festered and turned to apathy and may include um, a loss of motivation. Individuals may experience doubt because of an unwillingness to make personal changes, uh, possibly even sin and focus on peripheral issues um, that go on to prevent engagement. And that is sort of that stage where we say, how can we be sure uh, when there are so many things we can't fully know? It's hopeless to believe in God. And usually that's the final stage before abandonment. Um, that's sort of the, the outer, outer boundary. Um, so getting back to how how do you help that a little bit, and uh, what are folks like me thinking <laughs> in our brains? Um, how, to, how to help someone struggling with doubt? Um, the first is just listen carefully before responding. Just listen to them. Um, the next is remind them that they're not alone, because they may think they are, especially in a group of people that's supposed to be believing in something. That's the, that's the thing that unites us, right? So if that if that thing doesn't unite us, then what does it do? It divides us. It makes us think that we're alone. Um, and so remind them that they're not alone. Uh, don't just instruct them to pray harder to remove the doubt. That's the problem that you're having, <laughs> is that uh, it's not going to be easy for them to believe. Uh, so if you're telling them to pray harder, it's it, it, it may actually hurt a little bit. They may have to kind of back up a little bit to see a little bit more. and then. Help them assess the root of their doubts, just kind of like what we walk through again. Okay, I'm hearing you say this. Um, how? What's what's the underlying theme in that? How can I help? Um, and then here's what, if, if you find yourself in this period, and, and a lot of us have, maybe some of us are, uh, maybe some of us kind of dabble. Um, but know that you're not alone and that God is bigger than your questions. Um, that's a big one. It really is. Um, and the second one, don't disconnect from your spiritual community. Just hold the phone and stay where you are. Because if you unplug, just like a coal that rolls out from the fire, you're going to cool off and you're not going to have anybody around you. You don't want to be there. That's where a lot of my friends were. They didn't help each other. They rolled out, and I've never seen them since. Um, assess the root of your own doubt. Walk through this process yourself. Try to be, and, and the great thing about Christian community is that you have somebody else that may actually be able to be objective where you can't actually be objective. And then change your routine. Now, there is something to, to, to be said for obedience and staying committed in that belief, um, and, and you need to do that. But it may help to change your routine. Um, I had a what do I really believe journal. That may be great for you. That was great for me. It still is great for me. I still have questions. 
um, and a lot of them don't even have any answers. Um, sometimes you just need to unplug. If you're a millennial, put down the phone, put down the distractions, take a walk, go hiking, do something else that gets you away from all these little quick distractions. Uh, read something. Um, make your nightstand look like mine and 50 books and then the cat knocks them over. And, um, and then reconnect. Uh, this one is important because when I can't love God with my mind, I find another way to love him. Um, it's like that, uh, my mom is a school teacher, so uh, in the younger grades they sing that song, Going on a Bear Hunt. If you can't go over it, and you can't go around it, you got to go through it. But sometimes you may need to go over it, but sometimes you may need to go under it. So if I can't love God with my mind, sometimes I find another way to experience God. I, I experience God many ways. I experience him through art. Uh, I experience him through uh, literature. I experience him through nature. I experience him through uh, song. Uh, and there are a lot of ways that I find, uh, especially serving, uh, when I don't know what to do with myself, when I help somebody else, somewhere along the way, I find myself again. And so that helps. And then lastly, um, certainty is overrated. Um, but humility is not. Uh, the prayer that I've prayed probably more than any prayer, and I pray it all the time, I do believe that help me overcome that's my prayer. That's a prayer all the time. Um, and there's some days when I am on fire and I know it and I believe it and it's a conviction. And then there's some times where I don't feel it at all. And I don't want to be here. And I don't want to be around you guys. And you don't want to be around me. But I, I stay committed in faith. And I work through those, just like I would anything else, uh, whether it be uh, a marriage relationship or a covenant with God. And so I pray that you handle those of us uh, that are wrestling with doubt or isolation from divorce, um, or whether we're younger or older, or whether we feel divided because of race, or whether we feel divided because um, we can't believe the way that you believe and we want to do it, but we can't get there. Um, Handle us with care. Handle us with care. And get to know us. Um, and we want to get to know you too. So, that's all I got. Thanks for listening to this show today, everybody. I just want to give a few shout-outs. Today's music, the one and only Josh Cleveland. Today's artwork and all the Winter Faith artwork and digital design, Dominique Montaigne. The intro was done by Scarlet Fox, and I am just grateful to be creating and editing this podcast. My name is Andy Frazier. Find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at The Winter Faith Podcast. Subscribe subscribe on all those platforms, and also we are on Patreon if you would like to support the show, and also leave a review on iTunes at The Winter Faith Podcast. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week.